Merry Christmas, everybody. Hope you all are enjoying time with family and friends during this holiday season. The next two weeks on Theosophia feature my good friend and colleague, Keegan Osinski, who's a Master of Theological Studies candidate and a Public Services Librarian at Vanderbilt Divinity School. Today in Part 1, Keegan and I talk about her tradition, the Southern Nazarene Church, and growing up as a rebel spirit in her home state of California. Welcome, Keegan. So you are originally from Los Angeles? San Diego. San Diego. That's different. That is different. Okay, so you were born and raised there, and you went to undergrad out there too? Yeah. Yep. So I was born in San Diego. I grew up mostly in Temecula, which is more inland and north. It's like halfway between LA and San Diego, but in the desert Mm -hmm. um, slash wine country. There's like a bunch of wineries out there. So that's where I grew up, suburbs. Um, Sounds like a terrible place. (laughs) To <laughs> yeah, you know, like there were like hot air balloons in the sky every morning when I drove to school. Oh my uh, goodness. <laughs> um, actually, it's kind of funny. My parents moved out there when I was like six months old. So I, I was born in San Diego and then my parents moved out there. And when they moved there, there was one stoplight in the whole city. Hmm. Um, it was just small. Like they were starting to build all the track homes and stuff of like you know, the SoCal suburbs, um, but it was still really new. And now it's like, I don't know, there's probably like 200,000 people that live there. Okay. There's mall. <laughs> the mall, the mall, I always laugh because the mall was like a, a big field where people would like literally graze their sheep when I, was, <laughs> when I was really little. And then, yeah, when I was in like middle school, I guess they built a huge like mall there. <laughs> oh, wow. So what, um, what did you grow up uh, in terms of religion? Uh, we did not really go to church at all, except on Easter. Mm. Um, yeah, it, I, we just didn't, it wasn't really a thing. Um, I, I like to joke that because we only went on Easter, like I didn't understand like, oh, Jesus rose from the dead. Like that's literally all I knew. I didn't know like why he died or any of that stuff. Like they they rolled away a stone. Like he was behind a stone. I don't, whatever. Well, um, I mean, that was, you know, the, really the most important part. The other stuff right. is, you know, whatever. Well, I'm like, you know, I obviously knew just like culturally that like his birthday, Christmas was his birthday, but I um, didn't know until I was in like high school, maybe that people went to church on Christmas. Oh. I it just like didn't dawn on me. <laughs> Um, Where did but yeah, you... we started going to church when I was in like middle school, I think in okay. high school and stuff. I went to like youth group and all my friends were in the youth group. So I started hanging out with the youth group crew. Was that, uh, the, was that a Southern Nazarene church? No. So I didn't, I never heard of the church of the Nazarene until I went to college. So I went to college at Point Loma Nazarene university in San Diego. Um, now I got to interject. Do you know that I like thought about playing softball there? Oh, really? Because the yes. softball, the softball field is like right there on exactly. the cliffs by the that's, ocean. <laughs> that's literally the only reason I sent the coach an email and I was like, yeah. "Hey, you know, whatever. I'd love to come check it out." And I don't even think they gave much money. And I was like, ah, "Good try, Sarah." Like, <laughs> I mean, it ended up obviously ended up okay for me, but I thought it would have been, been cool to play softball, like on the beach. Anyways, a lot of people did like a lot of people do like our, our softball field, our baseball field, like right there in the track too. It's like on the ocean, the track. Yeah. It's beautiful. 
Mm-hmm. Um, my freshman dorm room actually had an ocean view. Oh my god! Uh, when I worked mm-hmm. when I worked in the library, my office I could see the ocean. <laughs> like, god, I don't know why, why. Why did I leave that? Why? Seriously. Um, but yeah, so that's a it's a Nazarene school. The Church of the Nazarene yeah. has like nine universities in the United States, I think, um, mm-hmm. including Trebekah, which is here in Nashville. Um, yeah, we have one in Oklahoma City too. Yeah, which one is that? Southern Nazarene University. Yeah, yeah, yeah. SNU. SNU. Yep. Um, but yeah, I didn't know. I was just like, oh, it's a small Christian liberal arts school. I'm a Christian. That'll be fine. <laughs> um, little did I know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, but but yeah, I didn't. I had never heard of the Church of Nazarene. I didn't know. I, the church that I went to was non-denominational, um, very conservative. It, it's one of those like non-denominational that like it could be confused for any kind of like Bapt- Southern Baptist, like mm. um, I don't know what, I, like I guess fundamentalist kind of, but not in the like women have to wear long skirts way, but, okay. but definitely in the women can't preach or right. do anything besides like homeschool their children way. So right. it's like, it was. So they yeah. liked some social norms, but the church informed a yeah. couple of those. Oh, and that's that's the thing with with uh non-denominational, right? Is like yeah. you can kind of do whatever you want. Yeah. Um and like you can kind of pick and choose and be like, well this is our community and these are our rules and sure. norms. Um but they're definitely informed by so, so like John Piper, John MacArthur, right. all those assholes. Sure. Uh um great um whereas on the other hand the church of the nazarene um they have ordained women since they became a denomination in 1908 that's cool that's really cool yeah um i mean there's there's still issues as far as like we have all these ordained women like what but they're not senior pastors <laughs> they're not getting paid as much as the men so you know it's not perfect sure. but at least they pay lip service to like women in ministry which is nice that uh, is unlike the church that i came from which was just like oh you're learning theology now stop <laughs> <laughs> don't yeah. you're no you don't need to do that <laughs> did you what did, okay tell me about did you study theology at uh, Point Loma or did you do library stuff? Yeah. So I entered as a freshman as a journalism major. Mm. Um, cause I like to write. Um, I was interested in being a writer professionally. Um, but then I took a new Testament class my first semester cause it's a Christian school. So we are required to take new Testament, old Testament church history and like one other, kind of Nazarene class, like about holiness or um, something else, something more Nazarene. Um, And so my first semester I took New Testament and I was just like, this is awesome. What, like everything I was learning, I was like, I've never heard this before. I've never like thought about the Bible this way. Um, I remember one thing standing out to me, like the four gospels being like having like four different agendas and like, Mm four different audiences and for like all these things, they're like different stories, but like the same story. Um, and I was just like, I've never heard this before. It's awesome. I want to 
learn more about this. So in the spring semester, I changed to philosophy and theology. Um, I didn't do biblical studies because I didn't want to take a language. I was afraid of Hebrew and Greek, so I was like, mm, let's let's not do that. Um, I ended up taking three semesters of Greek anyways, because I'm an idiot. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I switched my major to philosophy and theology, and I did that. I think I did a writing minor still, so I still did a lot of writing classes. Um, but yeah, I graduated in December of 2010. Excellent. Did you join the Nazarene Church while you were there? Uh, kind of. So... As I mentioned, the church that I kind of grew up in before I went there was awful. And once I started just getting really into theology and like studying it and reading everything I could get my hands on, um, it wasn't going over well with my home church. They were just kind of like, you shouldn't be doing this. Every time I would go home, which was like almost every weekend, um, I would have a lot of questions. I'd want to, you know, talk and debate with, you know, these guys, a lot of them had degrees from Biola and I wanted to just talk about it. And they're just like, everything you're learning is wrong. Like it's heresy. Uh, -uh. Uh, You know, it's a Wesleyan school. Nazarenes think that you can lose your salvation. Um, You know, they think women can preach. They can't. So it just wasn't (laughs) going over well. Uh, I actually, I got engaged to the music minister at that church uh, when I was 20, I think. Yeah. Um, And so that wasn't going well either because he was like in the leadership of that church and I was, you know, mouthing off and being, honestly being myself. Like I, (laughs) I I don't think I changed. Sounds like the Keegan I know. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think I really changed that much. Like I think like. I all well, and that's true. Like they, I heard all the time, like, "Oh, I have a rebellious spirit. I need to like work on being more submissive." All these things, and uh, it was not working. Um, <laughs> so I didn't end up getting married. Uh, the guy was just like, "This isn't gonna work," uh, which is fine with me. Um, I'm glad that didn't work out. Um, so after that, all kind of fell apart. I couldn't go back to that church anymore. Um, the church in Nazarene was where I kind of was welcomed in, um, all my professors in school and like some friends and people I worked with in the library, like, you know, the Nazarene circles are pretty small and the Nazarene school, a lot of people are involved in the Nazarene church. And so I had a lot of, um, relationships there and they were like, yeah, you're welcome here. We like you. Like, we like that you're smart. We like that you are fiery and have a rebellious spirit. Like, that's okay. Like, that means, like, you can you can do stuff here. Um, and they were nothing but encouraging ever to me. So um, when I found myself, like, with nowhere to go and, like, not knowing who I was, really, because, you know, a lot of my identity had been tied up in this other church, um, so I started going to Nazarene church. Um, yeah. So I think that was in like maybe the winter of 2010, 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, I started attending a Nazarene church, mid city church of Nazarene. Uh, and then later I was part of a church plant, a Nazarene church plant in San Diego called Genesis. And, uh, but I didn't become a member member until I moved to Nashville. Um, 
I had some weird feelings about like church membership. Um, and I don't know, maybe I still do, but it meant a lot to me to finally like become a member of the church of the Nazarene. Um, because the church of the Nazarene had, had become my home. Um, and so like it, it, it meant a lot to me to be like, no, this is where I'm going to be. You know, I don't necessarily agree with everything, but Mm -hmm. I, that, doesn't matter to me as much as just the loyalty of being like, no, these are my people. Yeah. Um, so this is where, this is where I'm going to be. So mm-hmm. that's what I, that's what I claim. <laughs> that's cool. I don't know much about it. I, you know, I grew up going to the basketball camps at Southern Nazarene university here in Oklahoma city, but I didn't really know much. And I see, you know, you tweeting about going to conferences or keeping up with Nazarene things and, it's always interesting to me to learn about my friends' denominations and how they, you know, intersect with mine or don't or what's different. Um, is there anything yeah. big theologically that I should know about or people should know about? Like a little sales pitch about why Southern Nazarene School? Well, <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> I, don't know. I know that sounds bad. But. Uh, it, it depends. Mm-hmm. So um, it is kind of weird and it's it's been kind of a learning experience from just like the openness uh, and hospitality and welcome that I've felt from Nazarene folks in the Nazarene church in California in a university setting, uh, as opposed to the denomination at large um, Mm. or the denomination in the South or the Midwest um, where it's much more concentrated. um, And like just learning a lot of background that I didn't know when I first started, you know, meeting people and getting involved. Um, The main thing is, so it, the, the denomination was born out of like a combination of Methodism and the Azusa Street Pentecostal revivals. Um, So it's kind of like a mashup of those two things. So you have the really kind of free flowing evangelical, um, congregationalism so it's very much locally local church oriented um so like that's why the church i go to here in nashville um is a lot different from like the other like eight or 12 nazarene churches in nashville um like i could go to another one i another joke i make a lot is like oh you could just like pick up two nazarenes in two different churches and just swap them on sunday morning and they might not realize they're still in a nazarene church (laughs) um because it can really vary that much Mm -hmm. um so you have a lot of like hardcore like evangelical um folks uh you know altar calls um there's still a lot of like preaching revivals and stuff um, and like all of that is totally foreign to me cause I didn't really grow up with that. And I'm still like fascinated by camp meeting. Um, they still like a, a lot of them have like district assemblies in the summer. Well, Mars is in, I guess it's ours in the spring. I don't know, but they do like revivals and like camp meeting hmm. preaching where it's like, you have a preacher like in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening. And like, it, it's really interesting. I, I'm hmm. not sure. Like. I don't know. It's new to me. So it's interesting. Yeah. Um, so you have that whole kind of wing part influence and then you have like Methodism. So it's very Wesleyan. So it's John Wesley. Yeah. Uh, Charles Wesley. You got um, that kind of like 
um, what am I just thinking of? Like a, a focus on spiritual practices. So John Wesley's big on Eucharist, on um, like small small group kind of um, meetings uh, for like accountability and stuff like that. Um, you have like John Wesley's very like revival preaching kind of stuff. You have that on that side too. Um, and then you do have like a kind of sacramental bent with, with uh, yeah. Wesley because he was Anglican until he died. So right. um, that's still, you know, that kind of influence. So it's, it's really, it's, it's a weird, weird denomination. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I would never, if like you just like lined up all the denominations and we're like, Hey Keegan, pick which one you like it. I would be like, what is that one? No. <laughs> yeah. uh, but just, you know, as a, a matter of a, uh, coincidence or like divine providence i don't know that's, that's mm. where i am <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so actually i i use that a lot when people are like why are you even why do you even stay in that denomination like it's obviously not a good fit for you I'm like, well, <laughs> are you gonna are you gonna argue with god like god put me here <laughs> <laughs> i do not believe in providence uh <laughs> come on now um, um, yeah so it's it's definitely an interesting denomination um, it's very small. I think there's 650,000 members in the United States. Mm. Um, it's a lot bigger outside the United States now. There's, oh, I didn't mention there's a lot of like missionary work going on. Okay. Um, so there's a lot of church planning and stuff happening outside the U.S., mm-hmm. um, which is interesting because it's a U.S. based denomination. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of weird like power dynamics with that. And yeah money stuff um that's kind of fraught and i'm still learning about but mm-hmm. anyways i could talk about the church of the nazarene all day long you should like <laughs> that that'll be a different podcast okay okay <laughs> i want well, to why, take up all of our time yeah. talking about the church of nazarene well why do you why don't you tell me why you want to why you want to be a theologian i know you started and you're almost finished right with your master's of theological studies at vanderbilt mm-hmm. and does your uh vocation in the library have anything to do with that or how do those intersect for you? Yeah. So, uh, while I was an undergrad, I was studying theology, loving it. It was great. I was working in the library as a student, um, and loved that too. And I was starting, you know, starting to get close to, uh, graduation. And I was like, what, what am I, what am I doing this for? Like, what do I want to do when I graduate? And I really love studying. I love studying theology. Like I wouldn't rather do anything else, um, but I didn't really want to go straight into grad school and do the whole like PhD thing. I didn't want to be a professor. Um, I always felt like I was too shy to like stand up in front of a class and like give a lecture. Like I, that sounds really scary to me. Uh, I don't want to grade papers. <laughs> I like there's, <laughs> a lot of reasons I didn't want to be a professor. So um, I was like, what, how could I, how could I stay in this academic world, but not have to deal with all of the bullshit? Um, and I was like, Oh, I work in a library. I could be a librarian. That's genius. by the way. <laughs> I love Yeah. Genius. Well, and then it got better because I was starting to look up, you know, how, how do you become a librarian? Um, and I found out that there is such thing as a theological librarian. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what the heck? Yes, this job was made for me. 
Um, and so it, yeah, it's great. So I went to library school. I, I was working full time in the library at Point Loma and then doing library school online, a master's of library science. Um, and yeah, it's, it's great because I can be involved in the research process in teaching and education, um, in like helping students, hanging out with students, learning from students also. Um, I'm really interested in like collaborative scholarship. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's so much of like academia that's like really like hoarder. Like this is my idea. Like you can't have it. Don't look at it until it's done. And then it's mine forever and don't touch it. Um, But I think it's just so much more rich when we work together and it's like, here's my idea. What do you think? And someone else is like, Oh, that's great. But like, have you thought about it this way? Or like, have, let me put you in touch with this other person who's doing something similar, or let me put you in touch with this person who's doing something completely opposite. And maybe you guys can be conversation partners. And I think there's just so much more we can do when we like work together. Um, And because research is such a vulnerable process. And I think there's not enough attention given to that. Um, a lot of professors are just like, all right, write a paper. And that's it. <laughs> like, there's no, like, they, I don't know why, like, they, I guess it's like, well, I went through this as a student. So, like, they should be able to figure it out on their own. Mm-hmm. There's no, like, there's no one teaching um, how to write. Like, there are people teaching how to write. I shouldn't say that. Um, but I'm finding it to be a gap. A lot of people don't really know what what they should do. Like there are these expectations, but there's no one helping you get to those mm-hmm. expectations. Um, so I like that I'm able to do that. Um, and then I'm also able to do that as a theological librarian in the context of religious studies and theology. Mm-hmm. Um, I get to work with people in my own field, students in my own field doing things, and I get to use my own expertise uh, in theology to help them out. Um, and then I'm just always learning. So it's fun to be able to, to do that in an academic environment. Um, and then obviously have all of the resources at my fingertips for my own scholarship. (laughs) So it's a little bit selfish. I was going to say, (laughs) I, I am very envious of you and I, you know, and I've texted you before, Hey, could you send me, uh, that article or whatever, you know, or give me some access to whatever, because I just, I, I miss having that access. I used to have when I was at Fandy to do, you know, a pub theology meeting. I do a ton of research before I do a pub theology and I am prepared on whatever topic it is, or if I'm preaching, you know, uh, uh, researching for a sermon and you just like have it right there. <laughs> yeah. It's good. Well, and I have to make sure you have all of your alumni access set up. Yeah, we should talk about that. Yeah, let's I'm sure let's... I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Keegan, you have the coolest job. Ever. I feel like I would love your job, but that's definitely your call. And I, I don't know it. The only thing that's missing that I need in my life as part of my job is sports. Mm. So that is not part of my life at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's okay. That's why this is a wonderful path for you. Okay, let's move into What's important to you about being a woman doing theology? And you've alluded to it, but I want you to speak directly to why you think it's important. Yeah, it's it's really interesting being 
a woman in a male dominated field. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think I have an interesting perspective also because as a librarian, like librarianship is a very female dominant field. Um, right. But side note, all the administration in library world is still male somehow. Mm. Riddle me that. Anyways. Um, so, so mm-hmm. I kind of have like both sides. I am like definitely in a male dominated field in theology and a female dominated field in librarianship. And, um, just seeing how conversations are different in those different fields um, when they're driven by different voices. Um, I'll, I'll always remember in undergrad, I was in a biblical interpretation class and we were going through this book that um, I don't know who wrote it. That's probably bad, but it's called to each its own meaning. Um, it's a you know classic like, biblical interpretation book it's it's great um because it just kind of goes through like here's like historical criticism feminist theory like all of these different kinds of interpretation mm-hmm. um and so we were kind of going through a chapter a week in this class and we got to the week on feminist interpretation and i think there was another girl in that class with me but she was absent that day for some reason mm-hmm. so i'm sitting in this class of all men talking about feminist biblical interpretation And, like, they keep, like, looking at me and, like, the professor even is, like, checking in with me, like, am I getting that right? Or, like, I'm, like, (laughs) you're the teacher. I don't know. (laughs) Um, And, like, you know, especially, like, I was only, like, a baby feminist at that point. So, but, like, it was so clear, like, how weird that is. Um, I think it's, I don't know. I guess because I'm more in theology than biblical studies. but. I, I want to say, like, even biblical studies is more heavily male. I don't know that for sure, though. Don't quote me. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think even even though in that situation I just kind of felt really awkward and out of place, um, I feel like in other situations where I'm, like, the only woman or one of just a couple, um, I actually get this, like, sense of, like, empowerment, even though – I feel like I'm supposed to feel like, oh, I'm outnumbered. I need to like, you know, be like, like defer to everyone else. Um, But I feel like, yeah, like I'm here. I know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, I have something to say. So I, I, yeah. Um, And I I really like being around other women in those spaces too. Right. Um, Because it's kind of like we've all gone through something similar at least in like being in those situations where like oh you're the one woman where everyone's talking about feminist theory and you're just like okay (laughs) (laughs) um so and so yeah I like hearing other women's stories that's why I'm like I'm really glad you're doing this podcast I can't wait to uh listen to all the interviews because it's like thank you yeah we we did this we're here we're doing it that's the whole point of it yeah I want people to know (laughs) um how about how about the word sophia this podcast is called theosophia what do you how do you understand that word and where does it i guess where do you engage with it yeah so i i well obviously like the easy answer to that is just like the lady wisdom from the scriptures (laughs) from like the book of proverbs and stuff like that um and how, what a cool image that is and how I think it's only like recently getting 
like rediscovered. That's a kind of a shitty way to put it since it's always been there. But, um, (laughs) but I feel like it's getting more airtime now. That's stupid. That's well, stupid. Hey, I am directly giving it more airtime. That is yeah, yeah, literally. absolutely <laughs> what I'm trying to do. So that's okay to say. Good. Um, but yeah, so the other thing I think of, like, as far as wisdom and like female wisdom um, is this idea of like practical wisdom and embodied wisdom. Um, so like there's that dumb saying like knowledge is realizing it's a one-way street and wisdom is looking both ways before you walk anyways Ah. um and it's like yeah it's like wisdom is knowing knowing what to do at what time like doing the right thing at the right time Mm -hmm. um and that's such like a learned skill sure um and i think for women and it's it's weird cuz you have this idea of like women being like more embodied or whatever just because like from modernity and the idea of like the rational man uh, and like sure. the passionate woman or whatever sure. um but i think if you if you do think about wisdom and female wisdom specifically as being embodied um and like how you know what to do at the right time um, I think there's something really interesting in that. And I think of like, uh, like women healers and like the, the tradition of like women healing through like herbalism and stuff like that. Just like knowing the right combination of like herbs and like plants to like put together, uh, when someone's sick and then it's like, Oh, you're better. <laughs> like, that's that's a mystery to me because I don't know anything about herbalism. Um, <laughs> but I can understand, you know, that sense of just like learning over time through tradition, passing down that wisdom to, you know, fr- from grandmother to mother to daughter, like through generations of like, this is how we learned what works, what doesn't. Um, or like, you know, even something like, more relatable, I guess, would be like a family recipe. Yeah. Because um, yes. we, we definitely have that in my family. My That's good. My mom, I, I grew up every Christmas time. Um, my mom would make this toffee and she learned the recipe from her mother. Um, I don't know if it goes back farther than that. It must. It should. I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, but she would make batches and batches of this stuff and give it out for the holidays. And when I moved out and went to college and then like eventually, I think I made my first batch on my own, my senior year of college. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, it was so funny cause I had the recipe, but when you're making it, part of what you do, so it's like butter and sugar and a little bit of water in a pot and you just heat it up till it's like gets to like that candy Mm-hmm. heat like temperature or whatever yeah and so you just kind of stand there and watch it stir and you stir it you stir it you stir it and it's not even like okay you you stir it for 10 minutes or you stir it until it gets to this temperature it's like there's a color <laughs> <laughs> and like I know what that color is because I've watched my mom make yeah. this my entire life yes um and I remember when I made it the first time, I didn't wait long enough. I was like, 
it's not the right color. I know it's not the right color, but I, I think this is it. And then I like poured it over the nuts and I was like, this is wrong. <laughs> it was so, so wrong. Uh, and, but I knew it was wrong. Right. Because yeah. of that same thing of like, I, I just, I knew because of the way it looked and mm-hmm. the way it was supposed to look. And I knew the way it was supposed to look. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a long answer to that question. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it, it's really about that kind of intuitive wisdom knowledge um that's good and this makes me think of the quote that we're about to get into just the first part that says to think we must eat and like you know women's spirituality or just you know things that have been handed down by our mothers and our grandmothers is the importance of eating and like whenever something bad happens or i you know you go through a death in the family or something traumatic happens. Like there's always all this food being brought. I'm not even just talking about holidays, women cooking food, but anytime, I don't know, just anything's happening and there's an opportunity to nourish people's bodies. It seems to me that women jump on that and want to, and I know it's like a culturally, you know, defined thing too, that women do these things, but there is, I think, wisdom in nourishing people's bodies so we can either cope with what's going on or that we're able to do the work in our lives we'd need to do. Like our bodies can't function unless we feed them. Right. Um, which if it's cool, we could start diving into the Eucharist and eating the body and blood of Christ. Yeah, always. (laughs) That concludes part one of Keegan's interview. Join us next week as we dive into theologies of the Eucharist in the real presence of Christ. Don't forget to rate and review Theosophia on iTunes and visit our website, theosophiapodcast.com, for more information. Also, for those of you who are in the Oklahoma City area, on December 28th, I will be facilitating a pub theology gathering for Simplicity Church. For details, follow me on social media, Instagram and Facebook. I'm at Theosophia Podcast and Twitter at Theosophia Pod. Have a Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays, y'all. Peace.